And we're live with JavaScript Air. Hello, everyone. I, I need to change the way that I say that. Like, we're live with JavaScript Air. We're live. I, I don't know. OK, something, <laughs> I'll, I'll say something else next time. <laughs> I just feel like I do that every single week, exactly the same. OK, so this week is, uh, this is episode 39. We're going to be talking about Node.js and community. So really exciting, wonderful topic uh, that I look forward to chatting with some awesome people that we have um, in the chat today. So. Um, yeah, just kind of normal announcements uh, as we get started. need to definitely give a thank you and a shout-out to our sponsors. So I'll start out with Egghead.io, our uh, premier sponsor, who has a huge library of bite-sized web development training videos. Check them out for content on JavaScript, Angular, React, Node, and more. Egghead.io is also uh, the host of two free Redux courses from Dan um, Abramoff. I'm pretty sure that's how Brian Foynes told me to say his name. Um, find them at egghead.io slash redux. Um, and I just totally think that Egghead.io is awesome, and they do so much stuff for free. I just love Egghead. And I also love our next sponsor, Frontend Masters, um, who are, they're also awesome, and I believe they're in the middle of a 38% discount sale. If you go to frontendmasters.com slash sale, um, go support them. They're fantastic. Uh, but what it is is a recorded expert-led workshop with courses on advanced JavaScript, asynchronous and functional JS, as well as lots of other great courses on front-end topics. Grab that uh, that sale while you can. And then TrackJS reports bugs in your JavaScript before customers notice them. And with their telemetry timeline, you'll have the context to actually fix them. Check them out and start tracking JavaScript errors today at trackjs.com. And WebStorm is a powerful JavaScript IDE. Give it a try for a more productive development with ES6, Angular, and React. Use the discount code JavaScriptAir at checkout at jetbrains.com slash WebStorm to get 20% off your WebStorm personal subscription, which is pretty cool. Thanks, WebStorm. And uh, Trading Technologies is looking for passionate and inventive full-stack JavaScript developers who want to work on cutting-edge solutions in a collaborative and challenging environment. Go help them build the top-choice platform for derivative traders. All right, sweet. So. Um, just a, a couple other opening announcements. This is a live show, which is super cool, and it allows us to interact with the people who are watching live. And so if um, you have any questions, um, you go to Twitter and ask with the hashtag uh, JSAirQuestion, and uh, we'll answer those at the end of the show. And it's fantastic and fun. Um, and then we are a weekly show, so next week we're doing another on-site conference show, which is going to be great. We're, um, I'm going to be at The Strange Loop, um, and I'm pretty sure that Dr. Boolean, um, Brian Lensdorf, will be there also, um, one, of, one of the panelists, so hopefully he'll be on. Um, and I think maybe one or two other panelists will be on there. But we'll be chatting with uh, attendees and uh, organizers and, and, uh, and speakers about the things that they're talking about. Um, our on-site shows are generally more flexible with the schedule, and this time it's actually going to be on a Saturday. Um, so we'll see how that impacts uh, who's watching. Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, Saturday. I'm pretty sure it's going to be around noon central time. Um, so uh, just keep track with... Uh, actually, if you go to the calendar, jsair.io slash calendar, you can subscribe to that. And then you don't even need to worry about keeping track. Like, isn't that cool? Um, so yeah, go do that. That would be great. And uh, we'll see you all next week at uh, in St. Louis at the Strange Loop. Um, let's see, I feel like I'm forgetting something. Uh, oh yeah, as always, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Google Plus to keep up with the latest. I'll be totally honest, I spend most of my time tweeting. I don't do too much Facebooking and Google Plusing, so 
uh, just be aware of that. Okay, cool. So let's go ahead and get an intro to everybody who's here. So like I said, my name is Kent C. Dodds, the host, and we have four amazingly awesome guests, and they are Miles Borens. Hey. And Tracy Hines. Howdy. And Gregor Martinez. That's me. Hello. Did I say your last name correctly? Yeah. <laughs> that was like one of those nice yes, like yes. Sort of. <laughs> so, yeah, not, not worth it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're nice, thanks. Uh, and James M. Snell. Hello. So, James, I think I have your middle initial in there because it's on your GitHub profile with the M. Yeah. I don't know if you're... I, I'm pretty particular about my middle initial. I don't know if you are, but I like to be sensitive to people included in stuff. So. Yes, I, I include it in everything. I have uncles and grandparents that are all James, so it helps differentiate. Yeah, uh, that's that's good. My, my C doesn't help to differentiate. I don't know any other Kent Dodds in the world. It's just somebody started calling me Kent C. Dodds, and it stuck. <laughs> so... Uh, cool. So let's go ahead and, and get an actual intro to each one of you. Um, we'll start, or, or we'll go in the order that I introduced you. So, Miles, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. <clears throat> so uh, I'm Miles. I have a bit of a cold, so uh, my my voice is a little raspier than normal. I, I think it's going to work out for this show. I think I sound great. Um, <laughs> yeah. But my voice may stop at some point, um, and then there'll be nothing I can do about it. Um, I work for a small disruptive startup called IBM, working on cloud technology, um, another small technology called Node. Um, Full-time working as a contributor, doing a lot of work on LTS and long-term support, uh, doing a lot of thinking about community. Um, prior to this, I have an undergraduate in fine art and a master's in music, um, so I'm kind of all over the map. Wow, that's awesome. I'm also a musician. I sing and play piano. That's fantastic. We should do a musical episode. Oh, we should. That would be kind of hard, though, because latency would make us, like, we're singing like singing in the rain or something, and, like, yeah, that's not going to work. <laughs> Maybe someday, though, the technology would be good enough. <laughs> Tracy. Hi, I'm Tracy Hines. I'm the Node Foundation Education Community Manager, and that's been since March. Previously, uh, I was working... Uh, at the tiny startup that Miles was also uh, employed by uh, for Watson, uh, doing product work. So that was really interesting. Um, and that's when I was, uh, my I think all my hobby time was uh, community organizing. So it's nice to be doing that uh, by day hours instead of all other hours of my life. Uh, although that doesn't mean that I do any less of that. So <laughs> um, I guess... Uh, the other side of that is uh, I have a lot of friends and family right now that are playing the Where in the World is Tracy game because of all the uh, travel I've been doing between work and fun. So um, I'm in New York today. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you for being on the show. Um, and Gregor. Hey, uh, I'm a web developer myself. Um, I'm the founding contributor to, to Hoodie, an open source project. Um, where we care a lot about today's topic, so it's very nice to be here. Um, besides Hoodie, I'm a co-founder of a company called Neighborhoodie, with which we do consulting mostly around um, offline applications. And I just moved to LA, and you know, getting to know the people here and engaging with the community here, it's all very fresh and new and exciting for me. So if you're from LA, 
say hi. Hi. Yeah, if I come down, I'll say hi to you. <laughs> um, James. Uh, yeah, so I'm James Snell. Um, I am. Uh, <laughs> I work for the same small startup that Miles and Tracy used to. Um, I am IBM's technical lead for Node. I'm on the the Node uh, uh, core uh, core team. I basically get to have my hands in Node code all day long, which is fantastic and wonderful thing to do. Um, uh, I am in Fresno, California, which uh, is not exactly a tech hub. Um, but we got some really cool things going on, which I can I can mention later. So that's that's me. Cool. Thank you so much for coming on to the show. So uh, Twitter is making me aware that uh, people have to uh, or we're competing with the Apple event right now. Um, so first off, I just want to say thank you all for uh, sacrificing your Apple event time to be on the show. Uh, secondly, I just want to say that we have 15 people who think this is cooler than the Apple event right now. So yeah. <laughs> um, cool. So, like I said at the beginning of the show, our, our conversation is going to be centered around uh, Node.js and community, and obviously we have some people who know a thing or two about those things um, to, to chat about. So, um, I, I think the first thing that I, um, to kind of get the ball rolling is, um, why is uh, community even something to be talked about? Can't we just, like, develop our code in our silos like we do at work sometimes? and and like push it out to everybody, and and we don't like know or care who uh, works on stuff. Why is community an important part of software? I'll hop on that one. Uh, I think it's. I, th I like to say when I started programming that no no person is an island when it comes to programming. Uh, some people like to think that. Uh, that programmers, you know, sit by themselves and come up with these really awesome things on their own, and then it grows. Uh, but I think we all know and learn very quickly that uh, it takes a village to create these really awesome things that we use in our everyday work or create in our everyday work. Um, so I think the community is sort of the. Uh, some people really want that community, and other people end up colliding into that community as part of needing help. So it's it's an interesting sort of nice to have and also need to have. Yeah, I, uh, I, I I like to tell my kids that you know yeah your dad knows everything, but my wife is very fond of pointing out no you do not. <laughs> so you know, and I think uh, as we go through you know as as we're trying to do our jobs you know just like Tracy said we we have to reach out to other people we have to get that. That um, those additional ideas and that, that just that richness of, of of input in order for us to accomplish anything. Really. So, community is community is much more important than the software itself. Um, yeah, I would I would point out that they both go together pretty well. Um, I think that if I just want to do my coding and this is what I enjoy the most, this just won't work. Um, on scale um, in a bigger project. If I just do projects by myself, that works. But as long as soon as it grows and it has an impact and people are using it, um, there will be a lot of overhead and discussion. And I think good community work creates processes and the framework that actually lets me do the coding that I enjoy the most, um, while there are others who are more passionate about um, you know, making everyone feel welcomed and onboarding everyone um, taking care of taking care of that, and I think these two go very well together from my experience. 
So is there a place though for those those people who just prefer to kind of code and like that's that's just all they want to do they don't want to really deal with people and and just like I I I'm not that way I I like being with people but I know that there are um, some people who just really prefer to be kind of on their own um, is is there a place for them or or I I think there's probably a place for them but like how how do those people find a place in in um, Software, where community and community is such a huge aspect. So I'd like to <clears throat> I'd like to speak to that really quickly. Um, I've been using a term lately, uh, soylent bits. As uh, branched off of a great T-shirt by Andyat that said, "Your your code is made of people." Um, so so you ask if there's room for people who want to just write code and not deal with people. Um, and I think that. It might, that question may be a bit of a red herring, even for those who feel that way, um, because everything is eventually about humans. Um, why? What are you writing your code for? Even if you're writing a game that's going to be played by humans, if you're writing some service that's eventually going to service humans, if you're mining data, eventually that data is going to be analyzed, probably for some human need. Um, I think that there's a difference potentially between that need um, and the ability to work with people. I, th I think that like wanting to engage in a community and be being part of a large community is separate from like being able to be cordial and collaborate. Um, but it sounds like a really lonely island and it doesn't actually seem very feasible to write any code with a human. The code you're writing was written by a human. Unless you're flipping all the bits by hand on transistors that were made by humans, I mean, you, you can't avoid the people. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Miles. And I think that, so when Kent asked the question, my first thought was there's absolutely a space, right? There are spaces for people who um, don't care to interact as much with people who really just don't want to be a part of or entrenched in the larger community. Um, but I don't think that that excludes them from the community. I think, um, yeah, I mean, like I am very active in community with a capital C and then also in, you know, smaller communities or the ecosystem overall in potentially more than one language. But uh, you yeah, I, I've been trying to think about this a lot and how how do you include people who want to be left alone, who do just want to code, um, because a lot of people don't want to engage in the, the social side of the coding community. Um, and I think that that's harder in the age of GitHub, uh, but there are still, I think there are ways and maybe um, uh, community norms that end up getting established to allow for that to happen. Uh, at least in like a minimal way. Right. Yeah, and yeah, you know, just within the, like the Node Core group. I mean, you know, it, it, it. There are people that you know they just want to go off and write code. Like there's times when I just disappear. I'm going to go write code for a week. No one will hear from me, and okay, then, then I'll then I'll come back and say, oh, this is what I've been doing. Uh, and and I think that is it's very common, very very normal. Um, but it you know. It, it, we, we have to just allow for people who have different ways of working, different ways that they want to work. 
Uh, and some people will want to just go off and, you know, by themselves for, for several months and write code. Uh, at some point, though, this, you know, all this open source stuff, it's a collaborative effort. And every time, you know, anytime you want to start collaborating, you know, you're going to be dealing with, with, with people. And as I said, you know, the, the, the people, those interactions of the people are, are, are more important than that code, right? And the code could be the greatest thing ever. But if, if how you're collaborating and, and, and communicating with people is, is not good, you're not going to get much done, right? Yeah, I would I would like to to add to it. I I find the question a little bit confusing for myself. Like when we're talking about open source, um, of course there is place for someone who just wants to code. Um, I mean, for me, I don't see it's not a challenge, but it is probably comparably the simplest of all challenges. Like making a tech community a welcoming place for coders is something where which we are comparably very very good at, um, and. I think what, what we what we can do or what we do at, at Hoodie is we we prepare tasks very, very well which are very well scoped, where someone can just jump in and work it off without you know asking for permission or where there is clear there is no more discussion anymore, something has clear requirements. And if someone really enjoys working on tough code issues, for example, these are good things how we can include them in 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 our community. Um, that's maybe just a tip that works for us. Yeah, and I, I think that if like let's this developer who, who doesn't really care to interact with people so much, um, like they, they can just kind of take those those things. Once the discussion's been done, they can say, okay, let me go implement this. The challenge comes when that person disagrees with what the community has come up with as the solution. And so then for you, developer who doesn't want to interact with people, um, You'll have to stretch yourself a little bit because you, uh, if you want to be involved in the discussion around the solution um, and and how that solution is to be implemented, uh, then you're going to have to inter interact with people. Um, maybe that's a sad thing, but uh, I think it's good. Yeah, I mean, so yes, I mean we we have to be able to um, you know collaborate on coming up you know uh, on what the decision making process and and consensus seeking models. Are definitely important. Uh, there has to be recognition, though, that it's not just about people who 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 want to kind of isolate themselves and, and work on code. It's also about people who don't feel like they can right? that they have the opportunity to jump in, right, and be part of the conversation. So they so they work in isolation because that's what they feel they have to do, right. And we have to find some balance to uh, some way of including them in on the conversation and making them feel like. You know, you're part of this decision-making process. You have the ability to to uh, imp impact the direction this project is going, um, and, and oftentimes it's very difficult to, to to differentiate the people that want to be isolated versus the people who feel they're being forced to be isolated. Right, uh, and and we have to get better at at delineating those. Yeah, I think I've seen just my experiences with with friends who have contributed even to core for node because I have not personally. Um, you know, you've seen, I think I've seen some moments where you'll, someone's really excited uh, about what they're contributing uh, and they're ready with their pull requests and then you sort of see like the color drop from their face as the comments are coming in. Uh, and it's not because they feel like it's hate 
that's coming towards them, but they may not even feel nuanced enough with arguing or debating in order to be able to defend what the choices that they've made, even if other people have helped them and supported them through that process. Um, so that's even more where the people come into play that uh, you end up needing, it's kind of wonderful, I've seen this happen, that you end up sort of having champions who are able to more elo eloquently speak to what the person was trying to do. Uh, I think that ends up being a really beautiful thing. Um, I don't want to say it's like people swooping in, sort of the support network, um, the mentors and leaders of the of the orgs who end up helping support those people so that they don't feel like they can't, they're not going to want to put another PR in. So actually that makes me think of something that I'm, I'm glad has just kind of come up out of our conversation, but it sounds to me like what we're saying is um, uh, community takes all kinds and there are like we we vary in our personalities and in and, and the types of things we like to do by such great measure um, that there's a place for everybody in community. Um, we all have like our own skills that we bring to, to the table. I think this is why, not to go on a tangent, but I think this is why it's so important for companies to kind of hire outside of their culture and this is why we're, we're hearing this idea of uh, you know diversity in tech and stuff is because um, to, for us to really build up a good community or a company, um, we need to have a lot of different perspectives coming into um, into the project, and and also different uh, different types of people with different skill sets, and um, not just like coding wise, but also socially and and um, like in, in the way that they impact the community. So like we have the people who aren't um, as skilled at, at um, communicating or talking with other people. Um, but they have other skills that they bring to the table. And then, like you were saying, Tracy, we have these other people who can kind of be champions um, in, in that regard with, with uh, communicating with the community and that kind of thing. Um, I think that's one thing that is a really important takeaway from our conversation is, is that everyone in the community um, provides value um, in different ways. Cool. <laughs> Yeah, the, um, the it, it, so, so next week we have the the the, the Node.js Interactive Conference, and, I, and just last night I was putting together my uh, my slides for my talk there, and one of the things that I'm just talking about is kind of just the way that the community has grown. So when I first got involved with Node directly, there was like 14 people on the Node core team. That was it. Um, most of which were in California, most of which were white males. Right. It was. I think there was maybe two that were outside of California, um, or no, three. <laughs> Big difference there. Now, if you look at it, there are eighty-five contributors um, uh, with commit access, um, and in just the past, I think two years, we've been, been able to to grow the con contributions to Core by um, over four hundred people, uh, new people contributing uh, in in that time. So it's 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 been significant, and what we've found what my experience has been is that we you know throughout this process we have a long way to go but there are there, there's a more of a diversity of these points of view you know there, there's more champions there's more of these people who who felt like they couldn't contribute before who had a hard time contributing that are coming in they're finding those champions uh, we still have our you know our trouble spots we still have our rough spots but as as the number of of people grow um 
we're, we're seeing more and more the benefit of having this diversity of opinion. Uh, and hopefully we will be able to continue that, that progress. So what would you all say are like some really important aspects of community, um, whether it be like specifically uh, some things that you've learned from the Node community or uh, Gregor uh, from the Hoodie community, you have a really impressive community there, I think. Uh, what, what are some of the most important aspects of a, a good community? Like what does a good community look like? Um, I think... Well, there are, there are a lot of things that, that we can do, and, and, and I think we are in the unique situation where we are comparably still a very young team, and the people who started it, um, I think, were ahead of the curve in terms of what they cared about in the community. Um, so I think we did a lot of things right from the beginning and do not face an issue yet where we you know, have cultural clashes. Um, like you see in other communities, which is which is really really hard for a community. Um, and what we what we invest a lot into is to um, create a space where everyone is is welcomed and everyone is valued. Um, and this is the most important thing, pretty much. Everything else are like just how how do we actually implement it and how do we sustain it and how do we scale this thing. Um, and for Hoodie specifically, because it's just a side project run on volunteers, uh, we decided that we have to invest in the community first and the actual code second, because there is no other way we can sustain it long term. If we would put our product out there and we would market it aggressively, I think we would crush below um, the, the user requests. And as an open source project, the only way we can take on the success of a project is if we have a healthy community that identifies with that community and takes ownership. And so this is why we invest so much into it. And we can talk more about practical things later, but I don't want to take too much of the time. Oh, awesome. Uh, yeah, I... Hoodie is an awesome community, and they're known for being super supportive and I think very inclusive. And I think that that's, it's not like, it's not just a stance that the people at Hoodie take. It's clearly the people who have interacted with uh, leaders within the Hoodie project and feel a part of that. Uh, I've never heard anything but that, like, as part of Hoodie. And I think that can go, when you're looking at, at some of these uh, older projects, um, I've been trying to look at precedents or sort of what is really awesome about other communities and not just within software because um, community as a thing can, you know, you can take it from, from a neighborhood. You can take it from um, community growth or uh, groups that have felt uh, uh, excluded uh, even in, in history. And, so something I've looked into for, for Node is, in trying to make things better for the future, we have um, uh, something that is called community capacity and sort of looking at what the community members are able to do to contribute um, and, and whether they feel they have the agency to do so. And I, I think that that's, um, 
if you look at different communities, it's really interesting to see where you may have a very large community of people, uh, but there are very few people who feel like there's anything that they can do. Uh, that they sort of have to sit back and wait for someone to tell them or they don't have permission um, instead of being able to take responsibility as an individual community member. So, um, you know, trying to look into seeing how you can or I can and others can encourage people and sort of break down those thought barriers or real barriers and biases that we've we've placed that we need to remove in order for people to feel like they can contribute. I think um, things like Python and Hoodie are excellent examples of that. Um, actually, so I, I kind of wanted to touch on what you you talked about as well as uh, Gregor. So uh, Gregor had mentioned that uh, one thing that they've learned is that you kind of do community first, code second. Um, and I actually, I remember when I first like heard of this idea, I was like, that doesn't really make sense to me, but um, as I have been developing an open source, like, you know, every single project has a community, big or small, um, and most of my proje projects have very small communities, um, but I found that as I've, um, as I've implemented some of the ideas um, that uh, I've seen in, in other great communities, it's actually been an amazing experience, um, and, and I feel like the projects are so much better. So like um, Michael Rogers gave the or has a blog post um, that is just totally amazing. It's called Healthy Open Source, and and in it he talks about how the Node uh, project will give commit access to people who give um, submit non-trivial um, changes to core, which like is pretty amazing. Like Node is a huge project that like tons and tons of people use. Um, and they're like they're giving commit access freely. You you mentioned uh, James that there are 85 uh, like committers now, which is like that's super awesome. Um, and so like even on smaller projects, I've been doing this where like somebody makes a pull request and like I give them commit access, um, and it like has really changed the dynamic of of my little communities that I build. So I can definitely say from my perspective and uh, my experience that. Uh, like focusing on community is a really, really big and important part of um, my sanity as an open source um, uh, developer. And that, uh, like, I, you know, if I lose interest in the project in the future, um, but other people are still using it, there's a community to support that. Um, so I don't feel guilty when I I don't have the time to contribute to it anymore. There are various reasons for this, but um, and then Tracy had, had talked about the people feeling like they need to ask per for permission or they don't know like how to get into the uh, things and and then that's like totally the case like for me um, even I, I've never contributed to uh, node core I, maybe I've made a pull request for like documentation or something but like I, I'm kind of an outgoing person and and like uh, I, I kind of I'm happy to jump in into things and I think that uh, if if the community isn't or, or like the you know, people within the community aren't like reaching out and encouraging people, other people to contribute. What you're going to wind up with is a community full of people who are kind of aggressive at jumping into into things, um, which may or may not be what you want. Um, um, so, like, you you have to kind of monitor the community. Like, the community um, it takes work, I think, and and you shouldn't just kind of leave it to chance um, because you may end up with something that you don't actually want. 
yeah, absolutely. Um, there, there are a ton of absolutely fantastic open source technologies that have failed because of a lack of community around them. Yeah, because the technology basically just dies um, because the original maintainers move on, burn out, or whatever, and there's no one really there to kind of pick up and maintain the momentum on it. Um, yeah, that's it. You know, going back to what you were saying about Node, it hasn't always been good. Um, it's gotten it's gotten better. My my first experience contributing to Node was about a year before I became officially involved. It was not a good experience. Um, I, op uh, I I reported a bug. Um, well, I think it was on the HTTP stack, uh, and was promptly told that I didn't know what I was talking about. And you know, it was not a good experience. Um, so I opened a PR fixing the bug and just left. And I didn't want anything to do with it. And then I think it was a, a year later, my boss came back and, and said, oh, I heard you I heard you contributed to Node once. Guess what you're doing from now on? Um, <laughs> so it, it, was a, it was a bit of work in progress. Now, um, one of the things that I've been trying to focus on is this, this idea that no change is too small, no pull request is too small. If somebody wants to contribute and all they're doing is you know fixing a typo in the documentation, to me that is just as valuable as someone coming in and, and you know you know fixing you know long-standing bugs actually in the code or or making these huge pull requests that kind of thing. No change is too small, and it, the, the size of the pull request doesn't equal the value. Right, everything has equal value, and it's uh, it's something we want. Um, and that's something I think we're we're getting there. It's getting better, uh, and we just need to keep keep that momentum going. So, yeah, I would like to follow up on something that um, Ken said. You know that if you if you don't actively invest into how your community grows, there will be a pre-selection of people who, you know, you said aggressive. Um, I would say maybe very confident, or maybe only people that actually use. Um, your product will will become contributors. Where, like, I would like to compare this really quick to how our conference has evolved over the past years. Um, and I think, especially around the JS community or the JS Conf events, um, do a really really good job. And I think what worked out for them very well is, for one, um, to create a safe space and make clear you enforce it. So this is like a precondition, obviously. But then it will not fix it, get fixed by itself. You have to actively reach out. And if you don't actively reach out, and I think we don't do this as open source projects pretty much at all right now, then you also miss out a lot because there are a lot of people who really want to contribute to open source, but they don't know how and they don't feel welcomed. And it's not that they don't feel welcomed because like we actively keep them out. They don't feel welcomed because there's a certain kind of people who really enjoy the work, open source projects, mostly work today, and they really like it. And when someone who is different looks at these projects and sees the tone in them and sees you know, what kind of people are contributing and how the threats are like, they, they just you know, see that, oh, this is not a space for me. Um, so this is something that we need to actively change. And I think that our conference has showed us that it's worth it and that we can do it. And I would love to see similar efforts in the open source or open source project community. So Gregor, you mentioned that um, like one of the dangers of not being actively like working on your community is that you could end up with 
uh, not having anybody contributing to the project who's actually using the project. So, um, like, I, I often feel like the, you know, people contribute best to, pro um, to something that they are actively using themselves. So could you talk a little bit about the value that you see in having contributors who don't actually use the project itself? Of course. Uh, I mean, obviously, I, I, I very much value people who use Hoodie today. Um, and they are also probably, in terms of the quality of the contribution that they do, just from the code perspective, probably their contributions are the most valuable. But what I try to avoid, or what we actively avoid, is to you know kind of highlight it too much and celebrate these too much, because we think that there are very different kind of contributions, um, like what James said, um, even very, very small ones, who might be equally important or even more important. Because you know, not everyone has the time um, to contribute to open source, for example. Many, many people just have different interests in life. And if we you know, don't invest into creating a space where they feel as appreciated as you know, these heavy code contributors, then they will do something else with their free time, right? Because this is what we compete with. And if you are not fun, then people will go somewhere else. Um, but having as many perspectives as possible is just extremely valuable for any projects, I think. I, I, I'd have to agree with that. I mean, so with with Node, I mean, Node has many different classes of users, and there, you know, there are people that use Node directly to write the applications, but there are there, there's a huge part of the community that you know, like you know, in DevOps and variety of different areas that are using Node incidentally. Right, because it's just part of the tools that they're using. Um, they're also part of the community, and they're going to have input on how this thing works and how this project works and all the other projects that 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 are that are used. And you have to pay attention to their input, even though they're not, you know, they themselves are not actually writing the, writing the code. Right, um, their input is just as valuable as anyone else's and you have to pay attention and way too often we completely ignore that right um and just say well you know we're the ones writing the code so we're the ones that are you have to make the decisions no that's not the way it works or it's not the way it should work so. miles did you have something you wanted to add yeah um, yeah, I was going to expand, expand on a similar thing to what James was saying. Um, I think we've spent a lot of time focusing on communities of contributors, um, but it's really easy to lose sight um, that the community is made of all sorts. Um, the community is made up of contributors, it's made up of consumers, it's made up of professionals and hobbyists. Um, I think one of the things that ends up being the most difficult is trying to build and support and do things in a way um, where you're being cognizant of everyone. Um, so you, you end up in this interesting uh, situation, especially when you have a mix of being a downstream and upstream consumer of projects, which means, you know, like for Node, for example, you know, we're downstream to V8, we're in a weird way, both upstream and downstream to NPM because we ship NPM, but NPM needs Node to run. Um, and then we, you know, we have all of our consumers that are downstream to us who are using Node in production or are using Node for build tooling or are writing WordPress and may not even realize that they're using Node in the UI now. Like 
there's all these different places where where it could be existing in, in various levels of awareness. So um, it becomes really interesting when you start thinking about about changing things and how that affects the community. And those changes can be technical changes, such as you know adding a new internal variable to FS, which breaks graceful FS, which breaks gulp. And then you know you follow this whole chain of things downstream, and you can end up breaking all of these individuals who are part of our community but may not necessarily be aware of like where it's breaking in their tool chain. Um, alternatively also though, um, we, we have social constructs and things that we consider to be appropriate or not appropriate. So I mean like w one could potentially argue that a code of conduct or changes to moderation guidelines or a semver major change to your community. Um, so how, how do we how do we work on creating spaces that that make everyone welcome or even more so I mean like let's not even talk technically we have people from different uh, cultures different uh, belief systems different philosophies um, and we constantly do this things these things as humans where where we other like even when we're talking about a community it's like this community versus that community we're not talking about like you know everyone on spaceship earth here we're talking about like this subset um, and as we we keep doing that, like how how do we have a community that serves all these subsets? How do we uh, create an environment that's friendly and welcoming and opening for one group without excluding another group? Um, one people may say we very well should exclude certain groups if they're toxic. I mean, one other that I'm more than happy to see not in a community that I'm involved in are, are bad actors or people who just do not have good intentions in what they're doing. Um, but how do you define that? And things get get really odd. Um, so I, I'd love to see us maybe spend some time focusing on the greater community. I know this is something that Hoodie's worked on. I know Tracy is is heavily involved in this, and and can I, I think you're you're pretty active in the React community. Is that correct? And yeah. so, I mean, I think React is a great example because I would say, yeah, there's tons of people creating all these different plugs plugins and stuff. But I would say, you know, like React is an extremely vibrant community of people who are mostly using React uh, and using all these different tools. And I don't think that makes them any less a part of the community. I want to like explicitly state that I'm not trying to speak down or ill of anyone. I'm just mostly um, trying to broaden the focus. Yeah, I think that um, like a lot of the things you just said are fantastic. <laughs> and, uh, I, I hope that if people didn't catch that, that they rewind a little bit and, and listen again, because um, that, was, that was great stuff. What, what, one thing that you made me think about, and, and I wish that we had a little bit more time. We're kind of coming down on our time. And I want to talk about how do we even community, like how do you do this thing. Um, but uh, one, one thing, this is kind of related to that, maybe a segue, is uh, for the small communities that I'm working on, uh, something that I started doing like I um, is I kind of have a problem with um, how like our tools right now uh, show contributors to a project as only the people who've committed code and that code's been into master, right? So you have GitHub, you go to the contributors, and it's like, okay, yeah, these these are not the only people in this community. They're, you can contribute even like answering questions on Stack Overflow or in the chat or like IRC or whatever, um, or even filing uh, issues um, and like filing a good bug is such a huge contribution. Um, and so um, for big projects, it might be difficult to do something like this. But for my little projects um, that I'm trying to build small communities around, 
Um, I have this specification called All Contributors, and I'll, I'll post a link to it um, in the show notes. But basically what it is uh, is it's a table of like every, um, all the people who have contributed in some way, uh, just their, like, their avatar and what contributions they've made in their name. Um, and you stick that table in the readme of your project or at some prominent place. It needs to be in a prominent place, otherwise it's not as valuable. But some part in, in your, uh, for your project, for the documentation on the website or whatever, um, to recognize these people who've, who've made contributions. And so you, like, it's, uh, you know, whether it's um, even reviewing pull requests or uh, writing tools around it uh, or plugins or uh, working on infrastructure to help the project, any of those things I think are really valuable contributions that don't necessarily give you commits into the project. Um, and I, I think that's one way that has really helped me build a good community is when people see their, you know, their face on the README for the project, it makes them feel like they've really done something valuable, and they have, um, and, and it's, it's great to recognize them for that. Um, what are some other uh, ways that we can, or, or like James, sorry, did you have something to, to say? I, I was just going to comment. I mean, the, the, you actually make a fantastic point. And, and even within Node, I mean, I recently just updated the the authors file that only recognizes people that actually have have uh, commits. Um, and there is, you're, you're absolutely right. There's a huge group um, that that never actually gets to that, you know, gets that commit, and they go unrecognized. So I think, I think within Node, I'm I'm taking that away. Is that's something we have to do better. At and I, and I, I appreciate you bringing that up. Um, so, I mean, I, I'm making myself a note right now to actually follow up on that and see if we can do that better with a node. So, thank you. Yeah, that's great. It's, it's harder to do something like this in a big project where that table would wind up being like hundreds, thousands of names. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, you'd yeah, you may have to adjust it. But actually, Gregor um, has some interesting research um, about uh, how the Germany Wikipedia did something similar to this. Um. Yeah, I would first like to say in general, like this is not a topic of uh, retention. Um, so we were talking a lot about how to get more people into a project, and now we're talking about retention, which is at least equally important. Like once people are coming to you, you want to keep them, and one important aspect, how you do it is to genuinely, publicly appreciate their contributions and do it in a smart way. Um, and yeah, maybe I, you know, I have an unfair advantage because my wife is an economist and, and she's you know, now working here as an assistant professor at UCLA in, in teaching strategy and she did a lot of research on, on volunteer environments um, and she proved with a like, large um, uh, field experiment with the Wikipedia that just by giving a symbolic award to new editors um, it increased the retention by over 20%. And the effect was, uh, was there for uh, over a year. Um, it was significant for one year. Just by adding, you know, like a graphic to their discussion page and saying thank you for your contribution, here is, you know, this award for you. We really appreciate your work. Um, so, and there's a lot of other things that I just learned from her and applied to Hoodie. So this is probably also a reason why I do so much and enjoy so much. Um, myself, but yes, yeah, I think like what what Kent does, what works for smaller projects, is is a perfect implementation of this. Um, we do shoutouts um, at Hoodie, but in general, what I have found is 
our tooling is just not good enough for this kind of work. It's very, very bad. It's a lot of manual labor at this point. And what I think is happening right now, GitHub is visibly more interested into community tools. Um, we need to invest into our tooling and, and how do we actually find meaningful contributions beyond just code? And how do we you know, um, show this appreciation and uh, I think the best way to do it is actually to carve best practices by providing good tooling because this worked for code very well. And I think we can create tools for community management as well. And, and this is happening right now. And I think there will be a lot more coming over the next years. Cool. So we are really coming down on our time. I really wish that we'd had more time to talk about the how do we even open source uh, or, or open source. How do we even community? Um, but uh, yeah, we have like five minutes. We generally go over. Um, so if if there are other things that you want to say, we have three questions in um, in Twitter. But anything else that anybody wants to bring up before we go to the Twitter questions? I, I would say, you know, you talk about, you know, how, how do we even community? Um, I, I have to say that probably the, the number one thing is just patience, personal patience. Um, too often we just kind of jump on our initial reaction to something um, and, you know, post that angry Twitter subtweet or post that angry response to the, uh, to the pull request uh, based on that initial reaction. Um, and and I've had to actually, you know, I've had to force myself to do this many occasions. It just, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll read it. I'm going to wait, you know, a few hours before I respond, or wait a day before I respond to this, uh, you know, just to make sure that I'm thinking it through properly. Um, above anything else, just having that that check uh, and just being a little more patient in how you respond is probably the single most important best practice. So. That's great. Thank you very much for, for adding that a um, little bit as a good thing to end off with. So let's move to our Twitter questions. We have three Twitter questions from our biggest fan um, <laughs> for the show. It's uh, Tierney uh, Corin. Yeah, I hope that I got the name sort of right. Um, but the first question is, um, I think, uh, Tracy, you were the one who talked about uh, community capacity. Um, and this is, the question is, community capacity is an interesting idea. Non-code contributions is one that seems successful. What do you think of it? Yeah, I mean, I think that's, I, I think that's exactly where we have, you know, uh, the CTC has been working really hard for a while to try and expand their contributor set and, uh, sorry, the, um, core technical committee for Node. Um, and, and I think that uh, there's so much that we can do with, with the, work, the other working groups and uh, things like documentation or community, just you know, being a mentor and teaching someone Node. You know, there, there are these different types of things that you can do that um, uh, allow for the community to grow and evolve. And, and those people who are contributing um, need to understand how much value that they're contributing by doing that. And, and I think that the last conversation we had, um, you know, around giving people recognition for that, I think that's absolutely a part of it. Um, yeah, community capacity is so much more than the ability to commit code. 
Um, and even then, like the code is also important, but we have to make sure that people understand, even people who are contributing to core in the code sense, um, that they are they are uh, their perspectives are really vital into growing the community and moving forward. So that means in you know the community that you want to see, um, the the community norms that you want to see, um, sort of codifying those sorts of things. Uh, just really quick, I would like to add to this that something that we learned ourselves over time is we try to not say non-coding at all anymore. Like we also, you know, we said coders and non-coders or non-coding contributions. And oftentimes that by itself sounds already excluding or you have like, you know, primary and secondary contributions. And I know you, you can't always avoid it, but, you know, just try to internalize it and try to avoid it and instead say, code documentation, design, community work, like just list all the things and make them really equally important in your language that works. Yeah, I like that. That's great. Uh, the next question, uh, same um, friend here. Uh, what was the Node.js experience like before commit access policy, before the commit access policy, giving commit access to non-trivial contributions? Um, uh, a mess. Um. <laughs> so, you know, the history with Node, everyone knows that we had the whole IOJS fork. Um, the reason for that was that the the people that wanted to contribute to Node were, were had an increasing number of roadblocks for actually doing that. Uh, a, a number of the developers um, uh, just kind of decided that they kind of had enough. They wanted a more liberal process for who would be able to um, commit, how those commit bits were going to be given out, um, how decisions were going to be made. And that was the group that went off and formed IOJS. Uh, the contributions to Node, if you look at, you know, if you look at the actual graphs, fell off significantly in 2014 while all of this was going on. And like I said, when I when I got involved, there were 14 people. That was it. And I think maybe five or six of those were actually actively contributing. Uh, but if you look over at IOGS, there was a huge amount of activity, huge amount of effort going on because they had opened up this this, this contribution process. Um, so when we were looking at the foundation, we're like, you know, the, the the choice here is pretty obvious, right? Rather than trying to be overly restrictive, rather than trying to to limit this to a small contain, you know, small limited group of of, of people, what we really need to do is encourage anybody that wants to contribute come contribute, right? Uh, we need to enable them to do that. And then if you if you are willing to contribute, you know what, we're gonna get out of your way, here's a commit bit, right? Now obviously we wanna make sure that those people have you know the project in the community's best interest at heart. So you know, we wanna make sure that there's several commits that they're gonna be, you know, it's not just gonna drop one and then leave. Um, you know, so there, you know, there, there's, some, there's some factors there, but it really does, you know, it, the, the change really is now that we just wanna get out of your way. If you want to contribute, we're going to get out of your way and let you contribute. Uh, and that's the real difference that it is now from what it was before. Cool. It sounds like, like kind of my favorite managers are the ones who kind of got out of my way. <laughs> and and were supportive, uh, like supported me in, in the ways that I needed to, um, made sure that I understood the mind of the customer and that kind of thing. But um, yeah, let me have the autonomy I need to do the things that I want to do um, to make the product better. Um, and I think that's, um, yeah, that's a pretty good analogy. 
so one last question from uh, Tierney. Um, so adding readme.md uh, faces avatars from GitHub as a table should be an automated tool. How can we make that happen? And actually, it is an automated tool. Woohoo! Uh, and so normally, th there is a um, all contributor CLI uh, that was contributed by um, Jurgen. I can't pronounce his name, but he's great. Um, you'll find him on the All Contributors project as a contributor of tooling. Um, but uh, yeah, it's great. My workflow is normally if somebody makes a pull request, I um, ask them to add themselves, and all they have to do is say like uh, npm run add contributor. They enter their uh, GitHub username, and then uh, and what contributions they've made, um, and boom, like it it's automatic and it gets merged with their pull request. It's a very frictionless process. Um, and people are normally pretty excited um, ab about doing that, um, that process themselves. Yeah, I would like to try to add one thing is that uh, it's tempting to try to automate community work, um, but I don't think this will work. Like, it's not code, and we cannot automate, you know, creating a safe space and a, and a healthy space. You, we will need people, but we definitely can create better tools who have the role um, to managing uh, communities. That's a great point, and I'm glad you brought it up. Um, yeah, you can't, like, automate being nice in um, chat <laughs> or, you know, like, yeah. one really important part of community, but there's there's so much more than yeah. that. Um, so, yeah, sometimes it just takes takes some time, but ultimately you, you buy yourself so much more. Um, so... Great. Um, so that is it for our Twitter questions. Let's go ahead and move ourselves into tips and picks. So I'll go ahead and go first, and uh, then I'll ask each of you to, to give us yours. So I do have a couple of links in here. You can, you'll find those on in the show notes, like the all contributors thing um, and stuff. And then uh, for my tips, um, I'll just make up a tip right now. Uh, I got nothing. So we're going to go to picks <laughs> for me. Um, so what... Oh, actually, here's a tip. Um, no, I gave that tip last week. Basically, like, if if you feel like you're really steeped into something um, and and you just like really really know it well, don't close your mind off to the possibility that you might be wrong or there might be something better um, that you could learn. And that kind of goes in with my pick. Uh, this week, I'm picking Jest, the testing framework. Um, I tried Jest out a year and a half ago, and I was like, yeah, this is dog slow. I'm never using this. This is kind of garbage. Um, and I um, was convinced otherwise uh, in recent weeks, and now it's like one of my favorite things ever. It's an amazing, uh, amazing tool. I recommend you check out Jest, the testing framework from Facebook. And um, if you need help getting going, I have a free, uh, a couple free lessons on Egghead.io um, about Jest. So um, I'll have a link to that in the show notes. Um, cool, Tracy. Do you want to go next? Sure. Uh, so I'd say my tip of the week, uh, but it is always helpful, uh, is uh, I do this with Twitter, but I think it helps everywhere, is when you feel something that you're really emotionally invested in or you have a strong reaction to, it can be in person or online, uh, write a draft, take a second before you send. <laughs> I find that I end up having a lot of drafts that never go anywhere, and that's perfectly okay because it still allows me to vent. Uh, and then for my pick, I would love to 
uh, let people know about this really cool organization called Operation Code. Uh, it's an organization that is teaching veterans and their family members how to code when they're uh, uh, moving to the point where they're transitioning out of their service. Uh, and they teach many languages. It's operationcode.org. Uh, they're looking for mentors. They're looking for help. I'm going to be talking to them as well to see, you know, how we can help uh, from the foundation side. Uh, but they're a really cool group of people doing some really awesome work, and I'm sure that they need help with that. Cool. Thanks, uh, Gregor. My first tip is to um, pretty much always in life, but specifically in open source, to put yourself first at all times. You are not. You don't owe anyone anything, um, and it's very easy to forget when you know people ask and are aggressive and feel entitled. And second, you put your community, and then eventually you put the people demanding things for you uh, of you on, on GitHub and, and trying to push for agendas and so on. Um, this is very very helpful, and, and just reminding myself of that helps. It's very frustrating how slow things go for us. But this is the only way we can stay sane and keep it fun. And after all, fun is what it's all about, I think. Um, the second tip is surround yourself with people that are good to you, especially when you're working remote like me. I had this discussion yesterday. Um, people think I work from home, which I'm doing right now. But usually, I try to leave, and I have the benefit I can go somewhere. So I try to go to you know companies where I can just work or co-working spaces and go to the places where there are nice people around me, and that are good for me. And third tip to me um, is invest into mentoring. Um, this is for both companies and open source. I think for companies, we see this big influx of people who are coming from boot camps right now. There's a lot of people who apply for tech jobs right now where the companies, they are not ready for it, and they say, like, this, I can't take this. And I think what we really have to do is to invest into mentoring now, into the transition of you know, getting people and and hire them, and then invest into growing them. Um, and there was a great episode by JavaScript Air on how to be a good mentor. And and there are even like people in there that I think you can hire to help you with that process. So instead of you know looking for the unicorn, hire junior developer, hire someone who you think is not good enough, but who might bring something else and invest into mentoring. Um, and these are my tips. Oh, my, my picks is, my, my most favorite podcast right now is uh, Request for Commit by Nadia Ekbal and, and Michael Rogers. They pretty much talk about why open source communities fail or why they succeed, and it's just amazing. It's like putting exactly this topic and making an entire podcast around, and it's great. I'm not um, even mad. That's a great, uh, great podcast. <laughs> Uh, I know. I, I really like, you know, JSA as well. I hear, I listen to all the episodes. I'm a big fan. Um, and I would like to uh, give a shout out to Offline Camp, um, which is an event that we do early November in Santa Margarita in California. So if you care at all about offline first, especially if you are a designer or a product person, we do this unconference kind of event, and it's just limited to 30 people. It's very nice and intensive and personal. And you can shape the off offline first community with us. So come, we have a great place. All right, awesome, thanks. James? Uh, number one tip, um, take time for yourself. Uh, take vacation, put the laptop down, pull requests can wait. 
um, even if it's just through the weekend or if you're lucky enough to get, you know, a, a week or two off, uh, definitely take the time. Um, uh, open source burnout is very, very real. Um, lots of people end up uh, coming up against that, you know, hitting that wall and just, you know, taking just a few, even just a couple of days just to kind of relax is, is very, very important. So encourage everyone to just do that. Second tip, like I said earlier, be patient. And this echoes what Tracy was saying, you know, write that draft, wait to send it, go back and read it a few more times. <laughs> just, you know, just relax and it doesn't have to get sent right now. Um, picks. We actually have no developers in Fresno. Uh, Fresno, California is not considered a, uh, a technical mecca, right? It's not someplace you really think of as, as real high tech. But we, we managed to find um, uh, several hundred uh, node developers here in the area. Uh, we have a monthly meetup uh, called Fresnode. Um, uh, we're looking for speakers to come. Um, so anyone who's interested in coming down, uh, it's a fantastic group. Um, that, uh, that, you know, there's a lot of really cool things going on. Another thing is it's a very, uh, Fresno overall is a very underserved community. Um, it, it's extremely high uh, poverty levels. Uh, something like uh, over eighty percent of the of the school kids here in the area are below poverty level. Um, and you know, if, if 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 reaching out to those underserved communities is something that you're passionate about, uh, then then absolutely, I would love to talk to you about you know you know coming in, you know having you speak, uh, and just uh, see what we can do in this community to get some things going. So. All right, sweet. Miles. Okay, some tips. Um, <clears throat> so uh, I think one thing that generally happens when you work with lots of people is you are going to make a mistake and you're going to upset people. It's inevitable. Um, a lot of us are concerned about that and concerned of the ramifications of our actions in general. Um, I have seen that if you're not a bad actor, and if you apologize and mean it and then move on and don't double down and disengage, that generally things will be okay. So that's like one big tip for working in communities, especially, you know, Ken, you were talking earlier about some of those individuals who may not want to engage with people a lot and may not have the skills to really navigate these situations. If you make a mistake, if someone thinks you've made a mistake, apologize and move on and don't engage. It's when you engage and double down that things get really bad. Um, and then building on that, um, the biggest thing I can say is empathy and empathize. Um, show empathy for those you make things for, for those you make things with, and most importantly, yourself. And James touched on, on that a little bit in his tips. Um, I have some talks that I've given recently. I gave a keynote at JSConf Iceland on this topic. The videos aren't available yet, but a talk from last year that I did on empathy is available. Um, it's learnt, it's learnt skill. We're, we're wired for it but it's something that you do have to learn. Um, and so be cognizant of that and, and try to show empathy even when it's hard. Um, as far as my picks, um, I'm gonna be hopping on a plane on Friday and heading to Berlin. And I'm gonna be speaking at ViewSourceConf Berlin on Tuesday. Um, if people are gonna be around in the Berlin area, we, we should hang out. Then on Wednesday, I'm gonna hop on a plane again and head to Amsterdam for Node Interactive EU, which is going on Thursday and Friday. And then there is also going to be a collaborator summit on Saturday and Sunday. And I believe, and uh, Tracy, feel free to chime in here if I'm wrong, 
Um, but I believe on the Wednesday, the 14th, prior to the event, there's going to be some community-related events. Um, I can't remember if it's a code and learn or if it's uh, onboarding new collaborators. Um, but let's put it this way. If you're in Amsterdam between the 14th and the 19th and you want to work on Node, my DMs are open, and I am more than happy as long as this cough hasn't turned into full-blown flu um, to spend time with you and help onboard you onto the project. That's awesome. That's very nice too. Cool. All right, let's uh, let's wrap things up here. So just a couple closing announcements. Super grateful for all of you being on the show. This has been a great show. I think it's something the community needs to hear, um, and so I I like having those kinds of shows. Um, so yeah, just give a quick shout out to our silver sponsors who also help make the show what it is. Uh, React.js program, master the React.js ecosystem. And I think you might still have time to get on a 24-hour sale that they have going on right now. Um, Tyler just released a whole course on uh, React Native. So go check that out. Um, and then Sentry is uh, cross-platform crash reporting. So check them out, too. Um, and then I've got a couple links for you. JSAir.io slash suggest will take you to a suggestion form where you can suggest guests or topics. Uh, JSAir.io slash feedback. Uh, we'll take you to another forum where you can submit feedback about the show if you have any uh, suggestions in that vein um, or uh, just want to say hi and thank you or something. I appreciate those too. Um, and then jsr.io slash email will take you to a forum where you can, or, or not a forum, but like our, our email newsletter and you can sign up for the newsletter there where we do highlights from the show and stuff like that. So fun stuff. Um, remember, we... we um, are not doing the same time, same place next week. It's actually going to be on site at the Strange Loop, so uh, check us out there uh, on Saturday. Uh, just subscribe to the calendar, jsair.io slash calendar, and you won't need to worry about timing again. Um, and yeah, that's it. That's our show. So thanks so much, everyone, for coming. This has been a blast, um, and we'll see you all on the Twitter. Thanks. Bye. Thank you. Bye.